right, let's talk about this theme song really quick. I I have like two complaints with the new show, and I really hate this theme song. This oh, is one of them. I I don't mind it. I mean, I think it's it's. Could, could be better. I didn't hate it though. Hate is such a strong word. Well, here's the thing, and I, I realize like, again, this is this falls in the class of these things are not for me. But there's some really horrible article on Bustle that talks about how oh this is a power ballad and it's such a cool throwback, and I'm just like it's not. It's not a power ballad. <laughs> I'm gonna be gatekeepy about this one thing. Power ballads have to be ballads. This is maybe an anthem, but it's not a power ballad. Power ballads are like by heart in rock set, you know? Poison wrote power ballads. <laughs> Do you mean it needs to tell a story? Or are you just talking purely like musical technically? Like sonically, right? <laughs> and also like even forgetting that, I think this sing it, like it's auto-tuned to shit. The, um, the production is paper thin. I feel like I could cut through the mix with a, a butter knife. It really bothers me. And so for this podcast, I have the power to change the theme song. And so I have decided to add in a new theme song. Uh, as, as I mentioned, Roxette. So I think this should be the theme song of the show. Here we go. Hi, everybody. Welcome to She-Ra Progressive of Power. Once again, I am Eric. And I'm Lauren. And we are here today to talk about the third episode of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, Raz. Uh, you might notice we're a little out of order. We weren't able to book our child guest this week because... We once again made a promise and then broke it. Right, which I think She-Ra told us not to do. <laughs> but children don't keep Google calendars, it turns out. So she was double booked this morning. So we'll get her soon. She's busier than me. <laughs> I was available. Gosh. <laughs> what does that say about your life? I don't know. But we have a, a special guest in the studio today as well. Lauren, would you like to introduce our friend? No, because I didn't ask him how to pronounce his last that, name. That That's okay. No one can pronounce it from looking at it. I'm uh, Matt Loik. All right. Now I'll introduce him. <laughs> <laughs> There's like clever and subtle ways to get around not knowing how to pronounce someone's name, but you just leaned right into Listen, it. Listen, I don't have any shame about this. Hey, this is Matt Loik, and he uh, is a toy enthusiast slash seller. I met him back when he was running Quake, and now he has moved his business online uh, to be more present with his daughter, who we got to meet this morning, and she's totally rad. I like to think so. And to clarify, that's the Evanston Quake, the uh, the Chicago one's still alive and well, so definitely check that out. Yeah, don't let anyone think that closed. No. So Matt is our second um, toy shop owner guest, which is really cool. Matt, oh. um, what is your tag on eBay, first of all, if people want to buy your stuff? Quake, Q-U-A-K-E, dash Evanston. Awesome. Uh, what is your favorite item that you have in your possession right now? It's a tough call. Overall, I have a Turkish bootleg Star Wars figure <laughs> of an Imperial gunner. And th the package art, they did their own photography, this like low-end knockoff company in the 80s. 
So they wanted him at a computer console, and it's just like sitting in front of a pocket calculator. So the photo on the toys package is just the figure sitting at a pocket calculator, which is great. And in the He-Man and She-Ra vein, I've got a couple of resin hand-painted samples of an original Horde Trooper and Mantisaur that Mattel used for, like, catalog photography and to show at trade shows that I got back in the day that are, are some of the most prized things that I have. Uh, so your fandom goes back quite a ways, right? Unlike recent guests on the show, you're quite familiar with the, uh, yeah, the world. Yeah, go- goes back to childhood. Luckily, luckily, I have an older sister, and my parents were never weird about like gender stuff. So we watched He-Man and She-Ra and played with all the toys together. And, you know, sometime around age 10 or 11, my toy buying became collecting. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I've got big collection. I've got most He-Man and She-Ra items that were made uh, with a few really rare collect, you know, exceptions. If anyone has an original Spinnerella out there that they're looking to sell, I need one. But um, <laughs> yeah, and it just kind of grew from hobby to occupation and yeah. That's so sweet. If anyone does have an original Spinnerella, we will take uh, your your gift, uh, your donation to our guests <laughs> over mail. We promise Matt Young won't steal this toy. <laughs> uh, I was. We were just saying before we started recording that the theme of this season of our podcast is going to be starting beef with other podcasts because we already racked up, I think, two in the premiere. And then while we were talking about the theme song earlier... I pointed out that our friend James from One Shot loves the She-Ra theme song. And he told me on Twitter that he would fight you. <laughs> Great. Well, I can't fight him on Twitter, but we can have him on to debate it. Look, I mean, again, I, I'm i being a little bit performative because also, like, let's be real. I have the power, not a good song either. That's what I was going to say, too. It's kind of holding up a certain legacy of mediocrity. It's not the worst song. It's pretty forgettable. I could see where, like, a nine-year-old might be like, this is cool, but it's hard shoes to fill. Like, the original She-Ra theme song was so rockin'. Right, like, I I honestly just wish they would have gone instrumental. Even, like I said before, license what Saban wrote and do a cover. Like, yeah. I, this, like, wishes they were Rihanna kind of imitator. <laughs> I literally skipped the intro all but three times. Once, because I didn't know what I was getting into, Twice because my dog was laying on me and I didn't want to disrupt her to get the remote and thrice to listen to it again today and be like, oh, yeah, I still don't like this. We can we can stop and Google this if we have to. But isn't the vocalist literally Adora? No. Oh, it's a contestant from uh, The Voice, perhaps. Hmm. Uh, Now I will Google this. Yeah, so here's the Bustle article. The She-Ra and the Princess is a Power theme song is an 80s power ballad you won't want to skip. None of that is correct, Leah Thomas. Mitt. Bad job. Yikes. Um, so the She-Ra theme is performed by Aaliyah Rose, a teenage YouTuber with a huge sound who competed on The Voice in 2017. This type of song is in her usual style. Rose typically covers current artists like Megan Trainer, Tori Kelly, and even Wiz Khalifa, but she certainly has the range for this type of power ballad. Huh. Boo. <laughs> All right. Anyway... If I'm going to be gatekeepy about one thing, it's hair metal. 
I was surprised by how like positive and optimistic our our season opener was. I guess we had to come out swinging about something eventually. Well, like I said, I only have two complaints about the show, <laughs> and we just hit one of them. So okay. it'll be a while for the next I one. I can't wait to find that other landmine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think it's the one most people have an issue with. All right. It lands around episode six or so. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's talk about Raz. Absolutely. So this episode is the one that has the most Easter eggs in it, I think. Yeah. Yes. And I don't have my notebook to chronologically go <laughs> through the episode, but I sure can talk about my fan theories. Oh, I have notes. So, okay, I'll, I'll recap it real quick. So Raz is almost like part three of the She-Ra opener. Yeah. And then it picks up directly after part two. Um, Bo and Glimmer take Adora to Bright Moon. They're going to introduce her to Angela, but they're... Um, they're hiding her in Glimmer's room. Glimmer tells Adora that it would be better to introduce her as She-Ra. So Adora tries to turn into She-Ra, but cannot. There's a really funny sequence where she tries super, super hard, including doing like a He-Man impression. Doesn't work, but she does turn Horsey into Swiftwind. Um, Swiftwind gets away, and in the chaos, the villagers at Bright Moon see Adora in her horde gear and like freak out and attack her. So Adora runs into the woods, and she meets a crazy old Legend of Zelda-style woman named Raz, uh, who, like, knows all of these things about her, maybe. And Raz and Adora go berry-picking and find a rune of the first ones. Uh, and Adora gets, like, these flashes of the past. And then they stumble on a horde camp where the horde troopers are, like, kind of torturing Swiftwind, trying to capture him. And so Adora finally is able to unlock her ability to become She-Ra. She rescues Swiftwind, then is overwhelmed, and Raz rescues her. She leaves Raz, goes back to Bright Moon as She-Ra, introduces herself to Angela, and then Angela accepts her and Adora into the rebellion. Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a very Easter eggy episode. This feels like the episode that is written to old fans being like, look, we still, we still got you, boo. Yeah, yeah. So you, should we run down the Easter eggs first, or is that too fan servicey? Let's run them down because I want to see if we all caught them all. So in Glimmer's bedroom, we have a plush cowl. 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 Not Lauren's son. No. <laughs> Lauren's uh, snotty stepson. <laughs> the son I don't acknowledge. <laughs> <laughs> then, of course, there's Swiftwind, which isn't really an Easter egg. That's part of the plot. Raz is the titular character. Yeah, yeah. Cha we should talk about how they change her, but we can, we'll circle yeah. back to that. Um, Raz also introduces two Easter eggs, Lookie and Broom. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd call Broom an Easter egg right. either, but the Lookie on the fan is definitely a quick, like, wink. Well, she names them, though. Yeah. She says, yeah, well, I don't think she says Lookie. She says something that sounds like kind of Eastern European, which they kept that accent for Raz, which is kind of cool, but it wasn't so overbearing. Right, it... It's like in, in the old, in the Filmation series, she almost sounded like a less abrasive Fran Drescher. <laughs> so I, I, I thought this worked a lot better for kind of like a mystical character. Yeah, I agree. She's kind of like the... Um, yeah, Romani. like a... Ro yeah. yeah. Well, that was that's what I was going to say. And I'm not sure I'm so comfortable with it. The Every now and then, we still see like tropes in this new reboot and... I feel like we maybe could have gone mystical old woman without going so much into the Romani stereotype, but it, it wasn't so bad. It did bristle me a little bit, though. No, I think that's fair, and I wonder how much of that was um, trope, tropey writing versus like trying to tribute like the original filmation yeah. voice character. Yeah, that's why it's a big question mark above my head. Yeah. 
Um, but I, I count Broom because she says, I'm not alone. I have my friends Broom and Lookie. And Adora thinks she's crazy. But given the tropes, I feel like she's probably not crazy. I bet that Broom comes to life at some point in the future. Yeah, For sure. We see, not to skip so far ahead, but she reveals without it actually being revealed on screen that Swiftwind can talk. And I think that gives her credibility. The things she says are actually true. Definitely. And then in the Horde camp, we see our boy Grizzlor, which is crazy. That's the only Horde male besides Hordak that we've seen so far. Uh, And then (laughs) Madame Raz says her classic line, Razzle Dazzle. She says it twice in in the camp when she's fighting off Horde soldiers. And then Imp. Imp shows up at the end of the episode on Hordak's throne. Lauren, you have a thing about Imp, don't you? Imp really weirds me out in this series because he doesn't look like a goblin or an imp, if you will. He looks like a a human baby. He looks like an actual human infant that's crawling around. And something about that (laughs) really makes my skin crawl. I was joking with my friend Jess about like, this is sort of the Bowser Jr. to Hordax yes. Bowser. Yes. We joke about like the son I acknowledge and the son I don't acknowledge. Is this Hordax's son he doesn't acknowledge? They don't explain it. One of my overarching things with this reboot is now that everyone has so much lore and so much background story, when something isn't given its lore and isn't given its background story, I get so unnerved. I'm like, what is this? And Imp never gets explained. He's just a weird baby. I agree. I thought Imp was really kind of unsettling in in, in, a, in a way that I thought was cool just because he was such a goofy filmation-y character on the original series that it was interesting to see such a reinterpretation of him as creepy baby demon thing i truly expected him to get thrown out of the show in the way that cowl is just an easter egg plush and he's gone i really thought imp was going to be gone too and i remember imp as sort of a spy like a recon character you know you could shape shift and blend into environments and listen in and sneak around and he seems to serve the same purpose except Hordak is so much more distant this time around. He's only in two episodes. He stays in his throne room. He's behind the scenes. Um, Imp could have been utilized a lot more, and he's not. And so just keeping him was a very interesting choice. Yeah. I like your talking about how it unsettles you when there's not a character or there's a character who like doesn't have lore in a backstory. It's almost like the narrative version of someone like standing behind you when you're sitting down at a party <laughs> and you're like, dude, why are you there? Yeah. And they just like hover like Imp is just hovering. Yes. Like, you know, there's a story, but you don't know what it is. Yes. And then arguably the biggest Easter eggs of all um, is a scene that's very shrouded in mystery when um, Adora gets flashes of her past maybe when they activate the rune and we see i think we see eternia for a second yeah i started talking about that at the at the season premiere because where episode two ends and three begins were sort of blurry for me but they definitely show like the portal and eternia is there for you to find if you want to find it i think that eternia is what we see Okay, the shot where the baby is crying yeah. and there's a planet in the distance and it's like gold on the walls. I think that's Randor and Marlena's nursery. Yeah. But there's obviously no answers. Um, 
And I think this is the kind of thing where it's there for people like us to find and look into. But so far, the actual narrative hasn't given any weight to it beyond like, oh, look, it's a mystery. Well, right. And Clint on our last episode was saying, as someone who's completely unfamiliar with this world, it didn't really ping him as something he should care about, which to me means that's well done. Yeah. So as as three old school fans, like I don't mean to say I didn't love the pilot because I did. But this is the episode because the episode after the pilot is always where the status quo locks in. right? And so this is the episode where I'm like. Oh, I'm in really good hands. Like these are people who know and respect and love the original. Right. But but yet for all of the fan service in this episode, there's also a ton of like moving their narrative forward. Yeah. Which which is a really tricky thing to juggle, kind of to go off He-Man, but like Star Wars prequels, heavy-handed Easter egging without really doing a good job of moving the story forward. So that's I mean for a quote-unquote you know, kid show to be able to do that is is awesome. That's true. There's a lot of in Star Wars in the sequels too, a little bit uh, of like, look at this. Remember this? This is how this happens. This is what this becomes. Yeah. There's none of that in Shira. Like, if you didn't know that Grizzlor was a guy, you wouldn't think anything of the grizzly bear who's leading the horde right, soldiers. Right. Like, I love like even things like in the character design of Madame Raz. It's like, ah, eh, she doesn't have a weird hat mask, but she's got these big glasses that kind of give her eyes a similar look. Like. And all, all the references, as someone who's an old school fan, I'm, I'm so happy with this series. One more kind of maybe Easter egg, is Horsey supposed to be Arrow? He's colored like Arrow, right? And he's kind of bows at first. Right. It seems like that's what they were going for to me. And, and there's a very, this, this is a maybe just being too much of a geek and reading too much into it, but they mentioned Mara, who was like an old She-Ra, and on the often forgotten, very forgettable The New Adventures of He-Man cartoon, there's a character named Mara, probably coincidental, but... Well, that was my big question. I mean, that's, that's the outlying mystery of this episode, is who is Mara, who is Raz, and who are they to each other? Raz was clearly very fond of Mara yeah. and repeatedly refers to her as my Mara. Um, and there's some implication that maybe that's a daughter figure, maybe that's a sort of mentor-mentee relationship. Yeah, yeah. But there's a very popular fan theory going around that Raz is Mara. Oh. And I didn't like that at first, but the more I think about it, the more I do. So... When they're climbing up that ruin, Raz's hand hits sort of the a part of the ruin and it lights up and reacts to her. Yeah. And it didn't strike me as an angry sort of security system way. It struck me as a, for some reason this resonates with you, you have some connection to this way. And we'll get to this much later in the podcast, but Mara essentially... It sounds like she went crazy under the power and the responsibility yeah. of being Shira, And what would the result of that be, if not death, than this sort of senile, forgetful character? And it loops right back into what I'm saying <laughs> about, like, if you don't have a background, if you don't have lore, I'm freaking out. And there's, there's no reason for Raz to be there if she wasn't something very important yeah. to that storyline. Uh, you were waiting for me? <laughs> We've made plans to go berry picking today. Look, I'm sorry, but I think you've mistaken me for someone else. I don't know who you are. 
No, you don't know Madame Raz, do you? You're not quite the same. <laughs> this is the wrong time for my Mara, isn't it? Oh, now you've got the sword instead. Wait, what? Ah, well, never mind. You're here now, and there's still berries to be picked. Let's, speaking of Raz and uh, Horsey, I'd love to talk about how fucking funny this show is, <laughs> which I wasn't prepared for. It's very funny. Yeah. So not even in the just the dialogue, but even like the directing style, like the very opening of the episode where Bo tells Adora, all right, well, I'm going to take you up the back way. And she's like, oh, what's the back way? And then there's a quick <laughs> cut to her like scaling this cliff. like Right. It's like cinematic editing <laughs> except yeah. in animation it's like a jump cut that someone drew and right. i love how clever that is it's very it's it's great and there's a line in the episode that makes me think they're intentionally letting us know how absurd and funny this show will be which is when madam raz says i don't have my glasses you'll have to speak up yes that is almost <laughs> verbatim a simpsons quote a very famous <laughs> simpsons quote you'll have to speak up i'm wearing a towel <laughs> so I feel like this is Noel because Noel wrote this episode saying like, listen, not only are we keyed into Shira history, but also we can write comedy and we will make you laugh because there's a yeah. lot of good laugh lines like he wanted me to make sure you know that Horsey was a stupid name. <laughs> well, that's the thing that I find really endearing about this show's comedy is it makes plot relevant and important moments funny yeah. there are moments that are just jokes but he wanted you to know horsey was a stupid name is actually saying yo this horse can talk and it's still comedic yeah. earlier earlier when we see queen angela in the pilot acting as queen and then she loses her temper and she goes, you're grounded, go to your room. <laughs> the whole audience we had together laughed, even though that was an important reveal, this is Glimmer's mother, it, they still let it be funny. And I love that we can have humor in moments of gravity. And it's, and it's just so much more skillfully done than the Filmation series. Again, it would be like, Orko's being zany, now back to the story. You know, Cowell's... Yes doing something or you know there'd be a lot of zaniness that wasn't relevant up oh, manten is going through a trapdoor again <laughs> and yeah just it's much more realistic to just kind of have it go with the natural flow of the events and the characters interactions just a minute don't hang up yellow you'll have to speak up i'm wearing a towel so Lauren reminded us before we started recording that this is a political podcast yeah so let's talk about the political <laughs> angles of this show, and here's my hot take that was so hot I couldn't even drop it live. I think this show is a good deal less political than the Filmation show. Ooh. Huh. Yeah. Um, obviously, representation is huge, but it's a given. It's not an argument. There's no moral about, look at these diverse body types and people. It's just there, which coincidentally is what conservatives say they always want, and then they complain about anyway. Well, I'm fine with them being black, but don't make a thing out of it. Great. No one makes a thing out of it in this show. Right. It's just women and people of color and people of different body sizes, and it's not a thing. But, and credit to my friend Tom Foss, former guest, I think because of the show's emphasis on narrative and character over problem of the week, there is not that much politics in this show. I agree with that. And I think I agree with that because we're so similar in our opinions on what She-Ra has always been and what it's for. 
I think, though, if you look at the darker areas of the forums, you still see people blowing their top over, like, all this SJW, uh, you know... Agendas. Agendas, yeah. 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 And it's not... It's not an agenda because it's so understated. Um, this is, you know, the world that I want to live in right. where you can be in love no matter who you are or what you look like. And you, you deserve friendship and you deserve companionship no matter who you are and what you look like. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. Right. But some people are still making it a big deal. The fact that this is invading, quotes, invading their narrative people can't handle and obviously that says way more about them than it does about the actual narrative um a particularly egregious example is i saw some idiot on the forums complaining about oh catra sleeps at adora's feet lesbianism get fucked dude a it's a (laughs) joke because she's a cat and it's a funny joke and b they're like best friends you know, whether or not you ship them, that's not implying they have sex. Right. It's a cute joke that shows their friendship. Well, the problem is it wouldn't matter to me even if it was the most extreme version of what they're trying to say. Like, oh, these two young women have a sexual relationship. That would be fine for me, well, too. Yeah, they I are don't under care. Age, so I would, I would dial that uh, back fair. a little bit. I just think like... Literally, though, you're right. It doesn't matter. Like, who cares? You can take it any way you want, but it's not forcing you. There's no lesbian agenda. This is just the world they've built. Well, and I think I think that's the thing. I think the actual content of the series isn't super political. Like you said, like the filmation series, it was a lot more like we're rebelling against this regime, and that was a lot more of the focus. But people are politicizing it, and a lot of it is just. 30-something and 40-something male fan base of He-Man and She-Ra kind of just blowing it up and and getting really defensive and and crass. Like in this He-Man Facebook group that I'm a member of, someone just like posted a, a photo of Spinnerella, I think when they had kind of first revealed the character design. And, and almost all of it was just like fat jokes and fart jokes because... Uh, yeah, she's she's overweight and she controls the wind, blah, 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 farts. And people complaining like, oh, this is just going to normalize obesity in children. And it, it just really toxic, disappointing stuff. And yeah, like you said, it's just more indicative of kind of what's wrong with these people well, than anything all, in the it's series. It's all hypocrisy, right? Yeah. Because if showing body diversity is normalizing obesity, which it isn't, spoiler alert, right. um, isn't showing everyone buff and sexualized, normalizing something else, right. like normalizing, sexualizing underage girls or normalizing everyone has to look a certain way, like that's... That's toxic, too. You can't be fine with one and not the other. And my my overall point is, like, this is the world Lou Scheimer wanted. Did they all turn off the shows before the moral at the end? This is exactly the shit that all of the classic characters that we love told us about. We should love everybody. Everybody can contribute. Everybody has a place. It doesn't matter how big you are. You can fight for the rebels. It doesn't. Ugh. And I think it's so easy for especially, like, you know, men in this country to not understand the importance of, I mean, you know, I when I, when I was younger, I chubbed out for a while, and it would have been so great for me 
to have seen like a heroic character that that was you know overweight for for lack of a better way to put it and i think they're just underestimating how how important representation is and like people can be heroic regardless of how they look or who they love people can you know rebel against evil i'm i mean that's really important well i agree with that and i think the reason they have the power to do that is because for better or for worse the men in america have gotten to see themselves as the heroes in pretty (laughs) much every piece of media all the time yes and so they're always able to point to a character and say oh there's me there's there's my analog that's what i can aspire to and so they can't click into a world where some of us have been watching television for 30 years waiting to see themselves once. Right. Well, we talked about in the last episode how, like, you had Sailor Moon, and that was about it. And girls, a few, like, 10 years before you had She-Ra, and that was pretty much it. Like, similarly to Matt, like, yeah, I'm a white dude, so I saw myself everywhere. But as, like, an overweight kid, you had the dude from the Goonies, and that's, like, it, right? Right. And he's not a hero. He's a comic relief. Yeah. So, like, movies pretty much tell you, like, oh, you can be the, the funny sidekick, you know? So good for this show. But, again, I can't stress enough. This is what conservatives always say they want is right. representation without hanging a, a hat on it or a lampshade. And I think what they're actually saying, and that's what we're learning, is representation that I don't have to look at or know is there or pay any attention to. Or no representation, and they're actually just hypocrites in general. Well, yeah, I'm going to take maybe a big leap here because the thing that I was thinking about as you're talking is what your typical conservative claims they want in, in word and then what they actually do in action There's stuff in the news right now that is tickling my brain in this same way. And it's uh, Ivanka Trump using her personal emails to Mm. talk uh, government business. And just a couple years ago, lock her up, lock her up was being chanted because we supposedly all thought that was a bad thing for someone to do. And now that someone we like is doing it, it's not a problem anymore. Or um, similarly, Obama was under fire so often for not respecting the troops and not respecting veterans. And we just had Veterans Day come and go with our current president blowing off event after event. And it suddenly doesn't matter anymore. And so in that same way you're talking about, I'm getting very tired of hearing these are supposedly our ethical demands. These are supposedly our moral boundaries. But then when, when the rubber hits the road, those, those ethics just, they just, they just, um, they just, just evaporate. <laughs> They're thinner than the mix on the opening theme song to She-Ra and the Princesses <laughs> oh, of Power. Oh, boy. <laughs> but no, that's, that's true. And I think I've said this on the show before. The entire conservative ethos from where I'm standing or sitting, as it were, is not what do I think is right? It's like, what does my gut tell me? And then how do I reverse engineer and do mental gymnastics to make that correct? I feel like we sit on this show slamming conservatives a lot. And what I want to make sure is on the record is that it's very easy for me, I think, 
to respect the beliefs of others, even beliefs I disagree with, if they are consistently applied. Yeah, If they right. apply to everyone. And it's such a huge pet peeve of mine when things aren't applied to everyone. The rules don't apply to everyone. Yeah. And unfortunately, that just keeps making me bristle at conservative hypocrisy right now. And yeah. I have I have right-leaning friends who are... Um, who like genuinely believe that like trickle down economics works. We can talk about that all day, but they're also anti-Trump because they're like, listen, this is a cult of personality. Yeah. This is not real conservatism. This is like white nationalists. I can respect those people and I do respect those people even though we disagree. That's not who's driving the car right now, unfortunately. Right, and and yeah, th- there's a complete lack of consistency. It's, it's just l- like I have, I, an aunt-in-law, I guess would be the best way to describe her, who can be extremely sweet and, like, quotes the Bible and stuff, yet is anti-immigrant, says racist things, doesn't love Trump, but still, like, supports him, and, and, and it just doesn't make sense. And there's this kind of weird justification, like you said, reverse engineering, like, oh, no, no, this is why this is different. This is why it's okay to be racist against these people. Here's a Bible verse that supports racism. <laughs> right. it's, 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 it's really, yeah, it makes me sad. Contrary to all the biblical verses that say don't be racist. Right, right, <laughs> right? exactly. There could be a million of those. But, oh, I found one where if you read it just this way. Right. Uh, and... Let me be clear, like, there's also people on the left with that problem. I think lately they've been classified as Bernie bros. Um, If there's a name for, like, Ocasio-Cortez people, I will sign up for that. I have, like, a giant crush on her that's really (laughs) inappropriate. But anyway. Don't we all? Don't we all? I also found out Lauren and I have a crush on the same person on the She-Ra cast. Oh, yeah. If we ever get to talk to her, we'll have to. I mean, there's no fight. Let's be real. Lauren just wins. (laughs) Lauren just wins. Um, that said, I think there is still a political background in this show. And I think the most interesting political theme in season one, which really will hit next episode, but let's see it now is this idea of isolationism, Yeah. right? This, there's a line in there where Raz is explaining to Adora what's happened to Etheria. She says, it's the same story, wicked people destroying what they cannot control. And then she goes on to explain that the princesses used to be united to fight this, but they've all retreated to their own kingdoms to tend after their own people where they feel like they'll be able to keep some modicum of safety and normalcy. So the next set of episodes is all about breaking that. But I'm because if you ask me, that's like the the core of the um, progressive concepts in Shira, and even just of the Shira story is like fighting this invading army, and that is clearly on display here. Yeah. <sighs> Ah, it's the same old story, dearie. Wicked people destroy what they cannot control. They can't just do this. Once the princesses would have protected us, but these days they they stay in their castles, protecting only their own lands. Meanwhile, the horde creeps ever closer. Mm, You're very like my Mara, you know. Brave, loyal, but... Afraid. I'm not afraid. Dearie, (laughs) you ran into the woods and asked the first old lady you could find what you should do. No one is going to make this easy for you, dearie. Stop waiting for someone to tell you what the right thing to do is. You're a smart girl. What do you think? Well, that's, I think, all I have to say about Raz. Do you guys want to add anything else? No, I'm just, I mean, I'm 
really, really happy with this series. I'm with all the anticipation and everything, you know, there's always a chance something's going to be a letdown, but I'm just so, so excited to see where they're going. I love how they're building things. It's not just like vomiting exposition on you in the first five-part episode, and then She-Ra just knows how to use all her powers, and I, I just, I love that they're taking their time with this, and they obviously have a big-picture plan, and just the amount of, like, strong female characters is fantastic and just watching it with with my family just to see it a show where just none of the female characters are sexualized even a kid's show it's it's it, it's refreshing but it's also kind of disturbing to realize how like that doesn't exist until this she-ra basically i'm just uh excited to see more about the mara story because I could be wrong, but the Mara plot really seems to be the first truly original component yeah. that wasn't present in the original, the whole like line of previous Shiraz. That's sort of a new concept, uh, even more so than the Princess Alliance. You know, the Princess Alliance is there to justify characters that have been there all along. A succession of Shiraz is a new thing entirely. And I find myself really excited to know, you know, what's been written there. What is there for us to dig up? Uh, fan of the show, friend of ours, JB, previous guest, wrote me a letter. I actually haven't responded yet, but I wanted to shout out the fact that he compared the succession of Shiraz to the succession of Slayers in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is not a fandom that I'm familiar with. And so I, I'd like to talk to him more or our, our listeners more about what the parallels there are. That's a great, thank you for saying that because I've, I've been meaning to say on Mike that uh, we've gotten a little bit of fan mail and we neglect, well, I, I'm not going to put this on Lauren. I neglected to check our Gmail over the summer. So if you wrote us a letter, uh, thank you. We appreciate it. We are working on getting back to people who wrote us honest criticism. Um, but I mean, even people who wrote like, somewhat negative things were really thoughtful and great and we appreciate you um yeah no one eric was, mean, was like you know i'm not throwing eric under the bus really but eric was like i hadn't checked the gmail and i went we have one of those where <laughs> i told you when we first started i remember because i told you the password oh. and that, but that was like 18 months ago you know yeah that's um, gone from my memory anyway so my bad thank you all for writing us i will say you could do like future guest ryan ferguson did and just tag us on instagram because <laughs> we check that way more often but um thank you all we really appreciate your feedback it's crazy that like lauren was sharing stuff with me of like fans from like south america like yeah the people we don't know like our show man you guys are the best thank you so much and uh i promise if you write to us we'll read it and respond from now on <laughs> yeah i wrote on twitter that every time someone tweets about us i share it with eric and then we both scream like excited children so uh even if we haven't personally written you back yet know that you've really made our day yeah and we hope that we can keep making your day i'm sorry i was so harsh on the theme song you guys it's okay if you <laughs> like it it's just not a power ballad listen to your Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com. 
or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressive of power. <laughs>